With this summer predicted to be cool and rainy and ticks estimated to be more prevalent than ever, participation in camping and backpacking may continue to decline as it has steadily over the past decade. However, at least 40 million Americans still went camping last year and millions are expected to go this year as well. Today on Noon Edition, we're discussing the 2017 camping and backpacking season, current trends and outdoor activities, and the best spots to camp and hike in Indiana. After this hour's news. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire. It's camping season. Millions of people camp every year, but participation has been declining steadily over the last decade. With the summer predicted to be cool and rainy, will camping continue to decline? Today on Noon Edition, we're discussing the 2017 camping season, what challenges campers might face this year, new trends in camping, and why camping seems to be decreasing. Bob is out today, so Becca Costello is joining me as co-host. Welcome, Becca. Thank you. Our guests today include Doug Baird. He's a property manager at State Parks and Reservoir at the Brown County State Park. Keith Clay is a professor of biology at Indiana University. And joining us on the phone today is David Culp. He's a member of the Hoosier Hiking Council. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And you can join the conversation today. Tell us where you like to hike, or you can pose a question by calling in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348 or by tweeting us at Noon Edition. Kind of a mouthful there to, to get out at the, bidding, at the beginning. Well, first of all, um, maybe I'll just throw this to you, Doug. Just talk about just some of the camping opportunities that are available to folks here in Indiana. Well, State Parks and Reservoirs has 32 properties throughout the state. Uh, the majority of them have camping facilities, campgrounds. I, I don't know the exact number of campsites. It's several thousand, of course. Uh, Brown County, I can speak to, has approximately 600 campsites in between a, our family camping area and our horseman's camp area. We have two different types of camping. But uh, there's also state forests that have mostly primitive camping and, of course, a lot of private and, and county parks throughout the state that offer offer camping. And David, can you comment just on areas outside of state parks and state recreation areas that, that you find nice around the state? Uh, yeah, the uh, our group, the Hoosier Backpackers, um, we do the majority of our uh, backpacking down in an area called the Charles Deem Wilderness, which is part of the Hoosier National Forest. It's on the southern edge of Lake Monroe, and that's uh, about 13,000 acres. And um, so we can hike in there and camp all through the forest there, anywhere we want. Uh, we also uh, go to other places in Indiana, like the uh, Knobstone Trail, which is in further south in Indiana, which is one of our, which is our only really linear trail. It's about uh, right now, it's about 56 miles long, and they're expanding it uh, further north. So, um, be there in a couple of weeks, actually. And uh, uh, so, and there's some other trails around Indiana and state forests, uh, Morgan Monroe, where there's a backcountry area we can camp in. Um, <clears throat> so, my group, which is the Hoosier Backpackers, we like to uh, get off the beaten trail and away from the cars and the noise and everything and get out in the in the deep woods where we can uh, have uh, a kind of a different experience more peaceful and quiet i want to ask you just to explain here here at the beginning what the hoosier hiking council really is too can you can you just give us sort of a brief definition well the hoosier hiking council is a group that was formed to help 
uh, build hiking trails and advocate for hiking trails in Indiana. And then uh, uh, my group is called the Hoosier Backpackers, which uh, basically just does a lot of backpacking trips. So there's two separate groups, but the, the Hikers Council actually uh, works on getting uh, trails built uh, in the state. Okay. They're working on a lot of small trails around the state, yeah. And Professor Clay, I want to get you involved in the conversation here, too. Um, we we wanted your perspective on the show because certainly a concern we've heard from folks this year is just the prevalence of ticks and, and different things. Can you describe the work that you do here in your, in your lab at IU? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, researching uh, aspects of the biology, ecology of ticks and the microbes that they carry. So unlike many people that want to avoid ticks, uh, we've actually gone to areas that are just loaded with ticks because they're easy to collect for our research. It's mostly uh, lab-based, grinding them up and doing DNA analyses and then looking at what bacteria are present in the ticks, which many of them cause serious human disease, and that does represent a risk of getting bit by a tick. Is it true there are more this year, or we can expect more? Uh, I have no specific information. Uh, it's one of these things, they say that almost every year, but um, there does seem to be a consensus among researchers from all over the eastern uh, North America that there are more ticks, or there are going to be more ticks based on changing weather patterns, changing uh, land use patterns, increases in deer populations, uh, what have you. So I don't think this is something that should prevent people from going outdoors, but they certainly should be aware that there is a small risk of getting bit by a tick that could possibly be carrying some sort of um, human pathogen. I'm interested in, we mentioned earlier, um, sort of introducing the show, that nationally it looks like not as many people are camping every year as has been true in the past. So I'm wondering, does that seem true here in Indiana, and why do you think it might be that not as many people are camping as before? I think we may not be all that much down here in Indiana based on revenue figures I've looked at. Uh, we don't have quite the camping activity we might have had goes as far back as 20 years ago. I can't say I know exactly what to attribute that to altogether. I'm sure the economy has a lot to do with it, to changing lifestyles, changing interests, to more opportunities or different opportunities for people to do things that may may lose interest in camping. Or, um, I guess as the population ages, more and more folks are maybe getting to the point they aren't able to camp or as interested in it as they might have been previous in their life, previously in their lives. But we have seen a, a slight downward trend over a period of years, but it does seem to be leveling off, I would say, at least from my observation. David, did you want to jump in there? Oh, I was just going to say with the, all the uh, computers and video games, people are probably getting more involved in their computers and video games and forget about getting outside, which is a shame, but I think uh, back when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, I think we uh, got outside more. Uh, parents took us uh, fishing and camping and stuff, and I'm not, not sure. Maybe they don't do that as much anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. Sure. So maybe technology is affecting Yeah, camping. There's been some research done that um, indicates that young people are just not getting the opportunities to, to get out in, and learn about nature and enjoy nature like they used to. And I'm sure a lot of it due to the loss of places to go. I mean, as urban areas expand and and all the, a lot of areas get developed, there's just not as much place for kids to go out and play in the, play in the woods like there used to be. 
You know, when we talk about ways to get sort of young people involved in outdoor activities, I know one of the things the state parks has done recently is to put passes in a public library that you can check out instead of, you know, purchasing the gate fee or a, a yearly pass. Um, are there other things that you have heard either in Indiana or other areas? You know, what are some good ways to get young people sort of involved in outdoor activities when they're young? Well, we offer, and all the park, uh, park properties offer special events and things to try to encourage folks to come and participate. Uh, we do have occasional free this and that, free event, free fishing weekends. Uh, we had a free admission Sunday, this past Sunday. It was uh, in uh, recognition of Visit Indiana Week, I believe, or Visit Indiana Month, something like that. And different things are done to try to draw families and, of course, the kids as well and get them interested in state parks. Our numbers, if you want to join the conversation today, we're talking about hiking, and you can call 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also tweet your questions at Noon Edition. So I want to follow up just a little bit off of that, maybe maybe with, with David, just talking about... Um, how specifically we can get people interested in camping? Like, are there new trends in in camping that are different than maybe what the folks, the baby boomers, had? Um, well, um, I'm not sure. I know the. I don't know what the new trends are. I know the equipment for backpacking, which is what I'm into, has gotten a lot better over the years. Um, it's a lot lighter. Uh, when I started backpacking in 1978, probably the first time I went backpacking was in Glacier National Park, and I think my pack probably weighed close to 70 pounds. Mm. Uh, today I could do the same trip for the same amount of time and probably only carry about 30 pounds. Mm. The weight of the tents and the, and the uh, packs and sleeping bag, everything has, has de- been decreased through better technology. Uh, so it makes it easier, um, but um, to get young people involved, uh, I don't know. There's, uh, of course, there's always scouting, and, and they get out in the woods a lot, and uh, other groups like that. Sometimes church groups. So it seems like camping is one of those things that's not really one size fits all. Right. If you have a, a family, there are opportunities. If you want to do, I mean, David, you were talking about finding secluded areas off the the beaten path. Um, so, I guess, what do you suggest to folks who are just thinking it'd be great to have a staycation? Maybe take the family out somewhere. What sort of a way to sort of test the waters? Uh, test the waters. Um, go close by to a state park and camp in a state park is probably the easiest way or um, I don't know staycation I guess you could set up a tent in your backyard (laughs) 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 but uh, uh, I guess I think a state park would probably be the easiest way and uh, of course there's all kinds of camping there's people with the big RVs that have all the almost all the luxuries of home when they're out there and then there's to the other extreme, like I do, primitive camping in the backcountry, uh, where you're taking the minimum amount, so you have a variety of different ways. I think it would be. Can you explain what backcountry camping is and 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 how that's different? Well, when we get off, we carry everything on our back in a backpack, and you're getting away from the uh, uh, traffic and everything, getting out in the woods and finding a place to camp and. You have everything you need with you, your tent, your sleeping bag, but it's it's all very minimal, as, as uh, little as you can get away with comfortably. And you've got a lightweight stove, and uh, so you can cook uh, some either freeze-dried food or lightweight food. And uh, you use the water out of the streams and the ponds and treat it before you use it by use of uh, either boiling or... Uh, uh, water treatment, uh, you can use a filter, you can use water treatment drops or tablets to treat your water, but it's, uh, uh, 
just getting out there totally away where you can find places like in the Dean Wilderness where you 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 don't you know you feel like you're totally immersed in the woods and uh, just you and your group and you don't see anybody or anything else except nature, which is what I enjoy the most. Professor Clay, I wonder if you can answer um, what kind of environmental impact does, say, backpacking have compared to, you know, I guess sometimes when we think camping, people think of pulling up to sort of a paved parking spot. Sometimes there's a little pillar there with electricity. So that's often what you see at a state park. But, you know, as as David was describing this backpacking, is there much of an environmental impact there? Are there any concerns or is that really more beneficial? Well, um, Certainly the trails that are created um, create an impact themselves, and uh, they're often conduits for various invasive weedy plant species. Um, People that go off the trails and are literally bushwhacking through uh, undisturbed vegetation have an impact in the sense of stepping on wildflowers or disturbing the soil that might make it more prone to erosion. Um, but these issues are avoided to a large extent by good you know, trail maintenance and construction. If there's a good trail, it's well marked and obvious people generally stay on the trail. Um, I'm not sure what David, uh, you know, the backcountry camping, if that entails getting off trails and just finding your own way. Um, compared to many other issues that natural areas face, probably hiking and backpacking is fairly minimally uh, uh, disturbing to the habitat. Yeah, we, we practice, you know, leave no trace camping when we backpack, so we make sure that we literally leave no trace. We take everything out with us that we took in, and we uh, bury our campfire and leave it uh, so that it looks un- so it's apparently undisturbed and uh, so forth. You have to practice, you know. You have to respect the, the country and, and leave no trace. With, with backcountry camping, do you have to have a permit? to do that? Is it is it different? No, not, not in the, uh, in some places you do, but not like in uh, Hoosier National Forest or, um, or the Knobstone Trail or in the state forest. You don't need a permit to backpack, no. Okay. But Doug, can some you... Of the nas- some of the national forests you do. Okay. But Doug, but you, not, you not can't do that. Not here in the Hoosier, no. Okay. In state parks, state you can't... State parks, you can't go backpack camping, well, with the exception of Shade State Park, I think, does have a specific backpack camping area. Right. I've been there, yeah. I've camped there, yeah. We don't have that in Brown County, and most parks don't. You have to camp in a designated camping area on a designated campsite, which usually has is hardened with a gravel or asphalt pad, and you may or may not have electricity at your campsite. Some, some areas even have water and sewer hookups at the campsites, which we don't have in, in Brown County, but... Uh, you, you do see a variety of different types of campers from the, the basic pup tents, which are, are fairly rare, uh, little fancier dome tents, and then big tents for families and pop-up campers, and then they get into a travel trailer, which is a, a little bit fancier, all the way up to the motor homes like look like tour buses that a rock band would travel in are the same same size and probably some of the same amenities. You would be surprised at the uh, modern conveniences some of the campers bring with them or, or that are contained in their motor homes. It's fancier than a lot of people's homes in some cases. <laughs> Is that how the baby boomers have aged into camping? Or do you see this across I age groups, really? I think that's probably... I mean, it's the baby boomers that have got the kind of money accumulated that they can afford to have a camper like that, or, or yes, I guess some people rent them. And, but, yeah, I think that as people start out in their younger days, they they don't mind sleeping on the ground and uh, in a sleeping bag. They get a little older, and then they may want an air mattress, and then from there it just goes on and on and on, and 
you need a bed with an air conditioner and a, and a <laughs> big screen TV. To the primitive, like our group, the Hoosier Backpackers, we're mostly now in our 60s and 70s, so and right. we're still out backpacking. I guess I can't speak for everybody. <laughs> you're, the, you're the hardy souls there. Yeah. That 70-pound pack you were talking about would have discouraged me. <laughs> so when you think about people who say don't spend a lot of time out, spend a lot of time outdoors, you know, you suggest camping. That requires some of a commitment. You know, you have to purchase some equipment. You have to kind of commit to being overnight somewhere. Are there other, like, what are some of the opportunities in Indiana for other outdoor activities that are maybe just like a day trip, something that people can do where they're not committing to, you know, spending some money and staying overnight somewhere? Hiking is absolutely free activity. I mean, at a state park, you do pay an entrance fee to get into the park, but it costs you nothing whatsoever to hike the trails. You can go to a state forest. There's no entrance fee in most of those, and hike the the trail system may be a little more limited, but you can hike there, spend nothing whatsoever, and really get a a good a chance to see what it's like in the in the outdoors of the forests of southern Indiana or any any part of Indiana. But uh, plenty of opportunities that don't cost much of anything. Uh, county parks and city parks, I'm sure, have opportunities like that that readily available to people that don't have the the uh, means to get out and travel to state parks. Uh, just half a mile north of here, the Griffey Woods area, 2,000 acres, easily accessible to everybody in the city, and very nice trails. No camping is allowed, though. Yeah, no entrance fee there, too. We should probably get ready here to, to take a short break. Uh, I want to remind our listeners they can join the conversation, 812-855-0811, or on Twitter at noon edition and on today's show we're talking about camping backpacking you can phone in with your questions we'll be right back this is noon edition on wfiu production support comes from smithville fiber online at smithville.com and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. On this week's show, we're discussing uh, participation in camping and a decline across the state somewhat, across the country, I guess, but uh, ways that you can get involved in camping and any questions you have. Our guests today include Doug Baird. He's the property manager of state parks and reservoirs at Brown County State Park. We also have Keith Clay. He's a professor of biology at Indiana University. And David Culp, who is a member of the Hoosier Hiking Council, our number 812-855-0811. So one of the things we mentioned in the break is just safety. What should you be thinking about as you're preparing your pack to take out? What can help you avoid things like ticks, poison ivy, all those sort of things. Um, Professor Clay, how about we go first to you? And we were mentioning ticks at the beginning of the program and how there may be more of them this year. What are some, what's some advice you might give people to keep them away? Well, I think the most important thing is to uh, recognize the type of habitat where ticks are most uh, prevalent. And this is in grassy, brushy areas. Um, They're in mature forest habitats as well, but they're certainly more abundant in uh, more early successional uh, brushy areas. You're not going to run into ticks walking through a cornfield or a golf course uh, very much, Uh, but where the vegetation is brushing up against your clothing, 
um, that's where you're most likely to uh, be exposed and pick up ticks. Um, so avoiding having vegetation brushing up against your clothes, uh, also the time of day or the time of year, earlier in the spring up through June, this is prime time uh, for ticks. In the heat of the summer, there may be less of a problem, but other things uh, become more problematical like chiggers, which many people are probably familiar with. I certainly am. Um, Wearing clothes that allow you to see ticks, so uh, they are dark. So if you're wearing blue jeans or black pants or what have you, you, don't, you have a harder time actually seeing them. Wearing lighter colored clothing, you can see ticks as they get on you. Um, certainly walking on trails, walking in the center of trails where the vegetation is not uh, brushing up against you. Um, also, it, uh, dawn, near dawn, early in the morning, when maybe fewer people are out and about, but certainly later in the afternoon when it starts cooling down, it gets a little more humid, that's when the ticks come out in a, a bigger way. There's insecticides like DEET or um, permethrin that you can use to treat clothes that help. Um, certainly, and this is an issue I think with um, camping that doesn't um, affect people who just go for shorter hikes. If you can change your clothes, take a shower, bathe, um, check yourself carefully uh, for ticks, um, you can avoid a lot of problems. But if you're, you know, out in the wilderness camping, um, access to showers or clean uh, changes of clothes may be harder to come by. And it's potential. Uh, it's potentially possible that you're carrying around ticks for several days in all your equipment, and that does represent a higher risk. What about your your pets? What would you recommend? Because I know a lot of folks like when they go camping like to take their dogs. Uh, that's definitely an issue. Even though you may not uh, personally uh, be exposed to ticks, pet animals, especially dogs, can bring them into your home or they can survey, uh, explore a wider range of territory and pick up ticks that then are brought into your tent or your campground or your home uh, afterwards. So I know there are flea and tick collars, there's um, medicines that you can give pets that will prevent uh, tick infestation, but if they just get on the pet for a few minutes and then are transferred to you, those um, treatments don't do anything in terms of preventing ticks. Okay. So, I mean, has there ever been a time when, or do you think now is the time where you would kind of say, hey, maybe it's it's best not to go, not to go camping in these areas this year or something to avoid them? Because I have heard that this year, that some people have just, you know, they're, they're a little more timid to actually go out and camp overnight somewhere because of these stories that we've sort of been hearing about ticks this year. Well, I would think the advantages, both physically and psychologically, of being in the outdoors and getting exercise, fresh air, outweigh uh, the risks. But there certainly are uh, risks, and um, it wouldn't stop me from going outdoors. Okay. I plan to be out somewhere this weekend, and uh, I'll check myself, but it will not prevent me, and it shouldn't prevent others either just using common sense. Okay. David, what do you do in order to avoid things, in particular ticks? Um, we sometimes spray our ankles with the Prometheon um, or DEET. Um, try to keep our pant legs tucked into our socks. Um, but basically, uh, when you get back home, just checking yourself all over for ticks. I've often found ticks on me when I've gotten home and getting them out, pulling them out, and uh, they're not completely avoidable, I would say, especially when you're in the backcountry. You're probably going to run into them, but uh, the main ones, the, the deer ticks, the very small ones, are the ones that carry the Lyme disease. Those are the ones to be more concerned about, and I haven't really 
run into those myself, but I have had some friends that have had that and suffered from Lyme disease. So, uh, but normally I've just seen the, the larger uh, dog fits around here. And uh, just a matter of uh, taking a few precautions like the Prometheon, and then when you get home, checking yourself over and finding them and getting, pulling them out. Doug, I'm interested in something you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about getting young people involved. You had said, you know, maybe one of the reasons young people aren't as involved in outdoor activities is there's not as many places for them to participate in that kind of thing. I'm just wondering, is there is there a concern that sort of publicly accessible outdoors areas are shrinking or, you know, I, I've heard really good things about the DNR here in Indiana. Do you feel like we've got a pretty good, um, you know, reservation system to keep some public outdoors areas? Well, we have a number of wonderful properties in Indiana that have been set aside or preserved. I, I think Indiana may have fewer acres per capita that are in in public in the public domain or or in a in a natural state than a lot of states. But uh, we have a lot. Uh, they've been gradually accumulating more. There are different programs to generate funds for purchasing land. Of course, you've got to compete with the development, too, and it's hard to come up with the kind of money that industry and, and developers can throw at property. The state doesn't have an unlimited supply of money, obviously, and it's hard to come up with private donations or, or raise funds in some other manner. But a, a lot of people in the state really support the public lands and are all about increase in public lands and then we do have people with the opposite point of view that any state land that or or government land is off the tax rolls and it it hurts others in the in the area that have to pay more taxes because there's so much land in, in public ownership uh, some people have no interest in the outdoors of course it, it takes all kinds i guess but um, we certainly have a lot of opportunities in Indiana. If, if somebody has the interest, they don't have to go very far. I, I believe the state parks claims to have a, a state park within an hour's drive of anybody in the state. So that, that's not too far off. Can you talk about, um, I know I know. obviously you're, you're at Brown County, but you, can you talk about some of the different kind of opportunities? Like if you're a camper at Brown County, your experience will be like, X versus if you went to this other area, some of the things that might be available. Uh, the camping itself is pretty similar, I guess, across the state. Uh, Brown County has campsites with electric hookups. Uh, as I mentioned before, some parks have uh, electric water and sewer hookups at their sites. Uh, we have also uh, what we call Class B or non-electric campsites that. Uh, they're sort of like a primitive campground, but you have access to the modern restrooms and showers. Uh, the, the ones with the all the hookups I described, we have modern restrooms in the area. We at Brown County don't have primitive camping as such. Uh, primitive is where you don't have access to the modern restrooms. It's, it's similar to the, the backpacking that David talks about, only it's, it's at designated campsites. It's not, you, know, you can basically take in as little as you want to want to take and, and camp minimally. Uh, throughout the state there's there are some parks that have rented tents, rented camps where you can uh, you don't have to have your own equipment. Mm -hmm. You can rent the site and it's got comes with a little cabin or a little tent already set up with, with the camping equipment you might need. There are camping cabins, which are small wooden structures, basically, that you camp in. It's a little little more secure than a tent, a little more durable than a, than a tent. They have cots inside. It's sort of like a, a uh, rustic cabin, I guess you'd say. You had mentioned one of those is, you know, we can sort of rent a spot and it comes with some of the equipment. And I'm, I'm wondering, and maybe, David, you can address this as well. Say somebody has never camped before but really wants to get involved. What are some of the resources available in Indiana where they can get advice from an experienced camper or, you know, rent equipment or something like that? 
Um, there's uh, quite a few outfitters in, in Bloomington. There's uh, JL Waters down on the square. Uh, up here where I live in Broad Ripple, there's Rusted Moon Outfitters, and uh, they all have people that run those or have a lot of expertise and can help you with what equipment you need. Um, and I'm sure there's there's other outfitters around. Uh, so outfitters, um, or getting in touch with a group that does it, like our group, the Hoosier Backpackers, or there's the Central Indiana Wilderness Club. Uh, Sierra Club does some of it. Uh, there's people in all those groups that have expertise if you want them to get in touch with them. Um, so, yeah, and there's plenty online now if you want to. Uh, online there's plenty of good websites that have information too keith also just to mention on campus here the iu outdoor adventures has a lot of uh expertise and equipment that's available for rent or for borrowing i i don't think it's restricted to undergraduates but anybody associated with the iu community can access their equipment i believe so when you go into one of the information centers or, or something at one of the state parks, do they have information about things like poison ivy, poison oak, those different things that you might encounter, ticks? or? Yeah, we, we have different displays. Uh, our nature centers probably have exhibits that speak to the poisonous plants or the, the um, things that might be a hazard in your visit to the state park or I use the term hazard, that's a little too strong, but <laughs> something to be mindful of, I should put it that way. It seems like one of those things that does go hand in hand when we think about safety, though, because poison ivy is enough that can ruin your whole summer if you're allergic to it. Uh, it's, I don't think there's any place in Indiana that doesn't have poison ivy. Once you learn to recognize it and kind of try to avoid it, it's maybe not that bad unless you're extremely susceptible and allergic to it. But, uh, there's plenty of that. There's, I don't know, poison oak, I've heard there's, I've been told there's no poison oak in Indiana, but then I've also been told people say there's poison oak everywhere. So, I, <laughs> But um, that's just something like the ticks, if you another, know that you've been in that area. And be aware of or, uh, just be aware of, I've encountered a few times in Indiana, I don't want to scare people off, but rattlesnakes, uh, I've encountered a few. Uh, just be careful and keep your distance, and be careful where you step. If you're, or if you're going to sit on a log, look behind it. Make sure there's not a rattlesnake hiding behind it. So, uh, you know, that's a, a lot of that's other, a We have good a lot point. of other snakes in Indiana that are harmless, but so when you know, rat. if you're a if you're a hiker or a camper and you see some wildlife, you know, what are some tips for that? I know we even recently there's been two black bears spotted in Indiana. Probably not likely that the average camper will see a black bear, but That's you know there are wildlife around here. Uh, but uh, just respect to the wildlife. Uh, don't disturb it. Uh, stay away from it. Uh, just uh, look at it. Take pictures if you can, but uh, just, just be respectful and don't disturb it. What are some uh, of the wild animals that you would expect to see? You know, in a state park or a state forest. Well, the most common, of course, is the deer and the squirrels and wild turkey are pretty common these days. Uh, birds of all different descriptions and species. Uh, occasional skunk, raccoon, I don't know if I mentioned raccoon. Uh, foxes, possums. There's, there's plenty of different animals you're likely to see depending on especially the time of year or the time of day. A lot of the animals are more active at late in the evening or after dark than they are during the day when most people are active. I know if you go to a place like Yosemite, something like that, you have to you know, lock up everything so that bears don't smell or anything like that. Do we have to worry about, I mean, I guess, how do campers store things, keep things overnight just to avoid animals here in Indiana? Obviously not bears. Well, the, the raccoons are Obviously yeah. not as big as the bears, but they're just about as, a nuisance. as much of a nuisance, yes. They <laughs> they can get into coolers. They can tear through the, the fabric of a tent if they think there's something in there, smell there's something in there that they want to get into. But the rules aren't so stringent in terms of how you keep things when you well, camp. Well, 
No, you probably don't have to put it in something and hoist it up a tree, or, but you, <laughs> you, it's wise to keep things in a locked cooler or stored in a vehicle where the, a raccoon can't get into so easy. Don't Absolutely and don't leave stuff out on your picnic table overnight. I think uh, raccoons tend to hang out more around developed campgrounds because when I go into the wilderness area or the forests, I really don't see any raccoons deep in the forest. We've I've camped for 30, 40 years in the Dean wilderness and never had a problem, never encountered any raccoons there. So I think they hang out. They like to hang out around the developed campgrounds where they know there's a lot of food to get into. I bet if you took marshmallows and left them out around your campsite, you'd have coons like, <laughs> like we have there in the state park. We got a question Maybe. about um, minority participation in outdoor activities. I guess IU Outdoors says they've seen an increase in Asian communities. I think the question is more how do we make camping and being outdoors more accessible and to to minority populations? Well, we certainly don't restrict our properties from, from anyone. They're, they're open to all all races and ethnic groups and uh, whatever different cultures you have. Uh, Years we, ago when I was in the uh, Sierra Club, we used to have a program called uh, uh, Inner City Outings program where we took kids from the inner city and took them out uh, to get them involved in camping and hiking. I'm not sure if they're still doing that today or not, but that, this was back in the 1980s, and uh, we took a lot of the inner city kids out in the woods, and, uh, so they could do things like other programs like that would be a good idea. That seems like that could that could be a cause too. When you think about it, in terms of living in the city, you'd, maybe you're n- not as close to one of the places you're involved. Yeah, that's that's very true, and with something we. And state parks possibly need to expand our efforts to give inner city folks, children especially, that opportunity to get out into a state park. There's a uh, private campground that uh, our Hoosier Backpackers has a retreat in in the wintertime. It's called Happy Hollow Camp. It's down in Brown County. Uh, they actually, during the summer, they run programs there for inner city kids specifically to get them out to their camp. It's a beautiful uh, campground, or uh, camp, cabins and a big lake, and it's very nice. Doug, you were joking just a couple minutes ago about marshmallows, which we think certainly you're talking about roasting marshmallows on a campfire or something, but it does seem like camping is a lot more than that, especially when you go to a go to a state park. There's so many additional things you, you can do other than just camp and, and hike. Some families might go for a week, so... Um, right, camping is kind of a social event for a lot of folks. They're a social get-together. They, they come with their extended families, get-together, or friends from around the country that often meet at state parks and camp and just have a good time together. The state parks, we do have swimming pools. We have fishing. Most of us have fishing opportunities. A saddle barn where you can take horse rides. Uh, Brown County has a, a lodge, a Martin Lodge, which has uh, dining rooms and, and motel rooms and such. It's more more so more uh, fancy than just camping, but uh, they have also have an indoor water park. Uh, most parks have a nature center in the summertime. They have a, a naturalist and interpreter on staff to do nature programs, that, uh, not only entertain but to inform you about things within the park or th- things in natural areas. There's, there's plenty to do and see in, in most state parks. If you hike all the trails, you've accomplished something in most of the parks. <laughs> are there any particular events or activities that you know our listeners should be looking forward to this summer, something they should maybe mark down on their calendars to do in Indiana? Well, we have a number of different events at Brown County, but it's there's a... Uh, DNR website has the event calendar for all state parks, and we have things going on in our park like a Smoky Bird birthday we have every year, and uh, an insectology day. And 
We just recently had a Morel Mushroom Festival, uh, different things, uh, Survivor Brown County, we have it uh, Labor Day weekend. Our, our naturalist interpretive program does a lot of things. Even every day of the week there's a, usually a program and weekends in particular there's always something you can do. Becca, I feel like I have to ask you because you did the whole project where you went to all the state parks, but just something that you think is, you know, families should maybe put on their list this summer to visit and and hike and see at one of the state parks. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would say try to get to as many state parks as you can. As one of the things that struck me about the project is that there were so many different uh, environments in, in the state parks. You know, southern Indiana is very much forested, but some of the parks in northern Indiana had very different, you know, different things to see. So, um, yeah, try to get to as many as you can. And I mentioned earlier, you can check out a pass from a public library. I think most public libraries in Indiana have a pass to check out. So, so yeah, yeah. a lot to see. Do, do you know, I mean, are the campsites usually full? I feel like whenever I go by Brown County or something, and there's normally a sign out that says the campground is full. Uh, holiday get... weekends, holiday weekends, we can pretty much count on being completely full. Uh, October is the busiest time of the year for us, so every weekend in October is pretty much filled up. The average weekend through the season, we still have campsites available. We don't always, don't very often fill up totally during the non-holiday weekends. I do know I tried to get together with some friends to camp at Turkey Run last summer, and that's not a last-minute thing. you got to plan ahead for that, <laughs> if you're, yeah. especially if you want to get a couple sites close to each other. Um, so I think at, at some of the parks on, like you said, on holiday weekends, they do fill up pretty quickly. Uh, some, some of the parks have quite a bit fewer campsites than we have, therefore mm-hmm. they're more likely to fill up. But, and Turkey Run's have always been a very popular park, very very busy. A lot of a lot of folks go there to camp and hike their trails. So, uh, a question for you, David. Just how in, how does engaging in the great outdoors impact society as a whole? In, in your opinion. Um. Well, from my perspective, it uh, starting young. I remember my first. Uh, real experience in the outdoors, I went with a scout group up to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area for 10 days up in Minnesota and Canada, and uh, that experience uh, really changed me. I mean, I'd, I'd never been in a area until then which was just totally untouched by man almost. It was just beautiful nature and just the, uh, it's, uh, it can be almost a, a spiritual experience. Uh, getting out there uh, in, in certain areas, and uh, even in Indiana, which is not quite so spectacular maybe, but very beautiful at some times of the year in some places, and just having that relationship with nature and being in touch with it, it I think it really uh, is good for the soul, so to speak. So, yeah, I, it's meant a lot to me over the years, for sure. Doug, did you want to add anything? I'm sorry. The impact of the great outdoors on society as a whole. You've had a long career in this. So. Yeah, it's definitely been an impact on me. Uh, yeah, I think anybody that takes the time to come to a state park or a state forest or any, any natural area is going to come away with a, a good feeling. They, they, I won't say 100% of the people that enjoy the outdoors, but I, I think a high percentage do, and those that have the, an opportunity to get out and, and enjoy the fresh air and, and um, see a little so wildlife in particular, that always always uh, helps people enjoy their outing. It's, a, it's a, a good experience for anybody. I would certainly have to agree with David. And I love how, Professor Clay, you said, you know, even, even with the risks of ticks, you think that the benefits certainly out, outweigh any, any risk. I would say so uh, on a personal basis, but it's worth mentioning also that natural areas provide uh, practical benefits to human society in terms of helping to clean the air, absorbing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, um, preventing soil erosion, being habitats that support a lot of our biodiversity in the state and the region. so certainly independent of how we enjoy ourselves, 
even if you never visit a natural area, it is providing benefits to our entire society. We've talked with you a lot about ticks, but are there other little pests or anything that, that you study or that you say, hey, look out for maybe when you're out? Well, my personal nemesis are chiggers more than ticks. <laughs> and, uh, and what are chiggers exactly? They're not mosquitoes. They're chiggers are mites. Uh, they're related to ticks, but um, they're smaller. Uh, if you have really sharp eyesight, you can see them barely. I no longer can actually see them very well. But you know when you've got into them, they tend to be more in the later part of the summer and early fall. And again, it's from walking through grassy, brushy areas. The same precautions that you use for ticks can help avoid chiggers. Uh, they don't transmit disease, but rather than being bit, once or twice, uh, people often get bit 500 times, and it's, it's uh, a bad situation, speaking from experience. They don't get stuck on you, so you don't take those home with you. No, they actually burrow under your skin, so oh. they're oh inside you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. You, you've never had a trigger? I didn't know they were they're under not, my skin. Not pleasant, but they're... They're not dangerous, but they're not pleasant. It's just a short-term uh, unpleasant experience. More unpleasant now that I know how it works. Right? <laughs> we only have a couple minutes left in, in the program here. Um, David, I want to give, give you a moment to just say what's on your list for this summer, and if you don't mind giving away sort of your favorite places where, you know, it, you would recommend that somebody definitely move to the top of their list. Uh, well, for Indiana, uh, the Knobstone Trail in southern Indiana, which we're going to do in a couple weeks here, is uh, a beautiful uh, trail in southern Indiana, long-distance trail. Um, uh, of course, as I mentioned before, the Charles Dean Wilderness is one of my favorite places. Uh, my list for the summer is, includes going out-of-state. We do some out-of-state trips, so I'm going to uh, Vermont. This summer, we've, we've been hiking, the, our group's been hiking the, it's called the Long Trail, which runs along the top of the Green Mountains from north to south in Vermont. We started at the Canadian border, and we're hiking our way south until we hit the Massachusetts border and doing a little section each year, and we're about two-thirds of the way there now. Wow, that's so, incredible. We're going to have yeah. to, to cut you off in, in there, unfortunately, because we are out of time for this week's Noon Edition. I want to thank our guests for joining us. For our producers, Ryan DiBattista, Angelo Bautista, and engineer Michael Pascash, and co-host Becca Costello. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.